0: Today, we're speaking with Joey Johnson. Hey, Joey, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I'm very, very well. Joey is the Chief Information Security Officer for Premise Health. Premise Health is a company that is the world's leading direct healthcare provider. Their transformative approach focuses on clinical expertise, easy access to care, and a seamless and simple member experience. We'll talk about what exactly Premise Health is doing, how they've evolved over the last couple of years. But before we get there, Joey, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career.
1: Sure. So, as you already said, I'm I'm Joey Johnson. So uh, hopefully, everyone's we'll figured that part out by now. But uh, yeah, so I'm 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 the CISO for for Premise. I've been with the organization here for uh, almost 13 years in that capacity, which is which is fairly atypical for a CISO. They're typically around two to three years. Um, so it's been fun to see and build the organization, but you know my background is about 25 years um, in cybersecurity. I held a CISO role uh, before that, um, basically uh, uh, originally a DC guy, but I've been li- living in Nashville here with Premise Health for the past seven years. Um, you know, I, It's actually funny. I, I didn't really come from a technology background. In fact, um, there, there's, there's a funny thing that we're starting to see, especially amongst security leaders um, that, I, that I, my colleagues that I respect a lot, it's really we'll get into it a little bit about the to sort of the um, the emotional IQ side of the role that's become so critical. So you know I came uh, I I came up in in college like a lot of people working in restaurants and met my uh, my my wife then when I was nineteen and uh, I was studying uh, anthropology and I, after a certain period of time she said you know so what are you what are you gonna do with anthropology exactly and I kind of thought you know <laughs> I don't know and i had a an older friend he was in his early 30s and he was he was working as a as a salesperson for microsoft and i thought hmm, maybe you know maybe i should give this technology thing a a spin and see what happens i studied a little bit in school left from there went and started working at the uh, the airports uh, authority in, in in dc and uh, and took some it jobs um started off in networking and then and then kind of you know really early on got a knack for for security i kind of i kind of got the bug I, I liked the notion of trying to solve these really complex problems and that was that was before sort of cyber is what it is today, right? Yeah. Back then, there was, there was very few jobs that even had a, a security title to it. Um, and I started doing, you know, now they call it ethical hacking or pen testing, but back then they didn't really have a name for it. And uh, and so I got into it because I was like, this is a really interesting way to try to solve some problems. My mom it, was-
0: You know, it's so funny because now we think about cybersecurity and all of these things as the hottest field. I, I, I was on the phone- uh, with a, a, a dean of a university and he was telling me all about his new cybersecurity program that they're trying to roll out. So it's all, it's all about security, especially as we move into an even more digital world. And you're a bit of a Nostradamus in knowing that this was going to be where things were going to go. But you've been working really at Premise Health now uh, for over 13 years. Tell me a little bit about that evolution.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it it's it's interesting. Uh, like I said, working in DC, um, I'd been doing security for several years by this point. I kind of I kind of I I was the tech guy. I, I quit working, sold everything I had, went and traveled around Asia for about a year um to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I said I wanted to go into management. Um, I worked for, for some large defense contractors and things like that and had my first kid, I had an opportunity to take a, a job downtown in DC. And I at the time that would have been like a two-hour commute each way, each day. And I said, I can't, I can't pull it off. So I joined this little, this little healthcare company in, in Reston, Virginia, I'd never done healthcare before and had been used to big shops, but I thought, let me, let me give it a whirl for a year, see what happens. 12 years later, you know, 12 and a half years later, I'm still with the same organization. We've changed over time, the, the name and multiple M&As and things, but, um, you know, it's been a really great journey. I think, you know, a little bit to understand is kind of what the organization is and does, uh, as you said, you know, we, we do, um, on-site, near-site virtual health for, for large employer groups, right? So when a mm-hmm. company wants to have healthcare on-site, um, services on-site, or, or virtually now at post-COVID, right? That's what we do. But it's a mm-hmm. really cool kind of business model that, I, that I, I stumbled into. And I was like, hey, this is neat. Why don't more people know about it? The big kind of thing that's so interesting to me is what we call like aligned incentive, where mm-hmm. what they really start working on is saying, hey, you know, the typical provider network, uh, gets paid, you know, how many people come through your door, how many surgeries or procedures do you perform, all this kind of stuff. It's it's not necessarily aligned inherently at a, at a macro scale to what's best outcomes for the patient, right? Right. Whereas when you have an employer group who's paying their benefits, they want two things. They they really want the employees to be healthy and, 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 and you know, stress-free and because they're going to perform better, but also, you know, they want to manage their costs. And, yeah. and it's it, you know it's 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 kind of a small portion of the of the workforce that drives a lot of the healthcare costs, right? The, the sicker people, and so we kind of looked at that and said, you know, what if you could what if you could really change behavior in a way that's aligned to the cost model, but really focuses on getting the person well, right? right. So we'll have things like a pharmacy, a wellness center, a fitness center, all kind of together in a place, and we can treat people holistically, which. You know, helps helps them get better, right? It does. It drives down costs, but it helps them get better more holistically. Instead of saying, "Hey, go get some meds," it's, "Hey, you know, here we'll pair you with, with a fitness instructor that's going to help you do things and and by you know change little things in, in in your life." So it's been a really cool model. Um, but for me, yeah, I love that. Yeah, um, yeah. But for me, you know, obviously running security, it's like, well, what do you do? You know, you're we're handling all the the sensitive data and healthcare records of, of all these large employer groups, right? So so those those organizations care a lot about the security posture of it. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. something funny earlier, which is part of the kind of the journey that's been so cool is when I came, it was like, what, what's, the, what's the relevance of the security program here? And, and a lot of organizations were still figuring it out. Right. But because our clients are all such large organizations, they are on the front end of kind of risk acceptance and risk management, right? Those are the organizations yeah. that started doing things like vendor risk management and going, hey, we got partners who got really sensitive data. Like, what are we yeah. to do about it? and how do we know it's safe? And so really quickly, you know, thanks to my CEO, he realized early on, he said, Joey, you know, I, this business is going to grow and I'm going to need security to be front and center here because this cybersecurity thing is going to be a big deal. And I said, it's funny, you're the first person I've actually <laughs> like totally gets it. Like, this is going to be a big, big deal. And people kind of laughed at me before, but like you said, now we sit here and everybody looks at it and goes, wow, okay. Like, this is a, this is a crazy, crazy market.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. And it's it's so interesting because- Data, just managing information and data is in streamlining that process is is absolutely critical for any type of healthcare system today, certainly the one that you're outlining and what you guys are delivering, but then also figuring out how to manage the privacy and all of those issues of the individual employees and then also protecting your corporate or your your enterprise customers uh, as well what a tremendous set of challenges to deal with and, and certainly right at the center of, of how things are evolving. I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at this space right now, you know, I, we've, we've heard about so many cybersecurity issues over the years with big companies. What are the big topics for you guys? What are, what are the kind of the big trends in the space?
1: You mean from a cybersecurity perspective? Yeah,
0: yeah, just from a, you know, security and, and inf- just j- general perspective. Exactly.
1: The, you know, I I'd say, I think there's a, there's a few of them. Uh, the, the biggest topics on my mind really are, are one around, around data, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, systems are fine. You, you can compromise a system of mine, but, but I can't recover from certain data loss. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, everyone hears about ransomware and all of that, but I think really our, our biggest concern is the evolution of data and, and the implications of it. So I, I use this one example all the time that people find interesting, right. Where we are today, historically, we came from like in a healthcare world, you go see a doctor, the doctor treats you, they mm-hmm. write up the medical notes, they put it in the medical record application, right? That's 100% HIPAA-governed data, there's no question about it, and it's generated by the provider. Now, we have a totally different advent. We've got wearable technologies, we've got Fitbits, we've got all these things, which now has the patient actually being the one to generate the data. Mm. Really interesting nuance here's another thing that makes it interesting. If you take your blood pressure, your cholesterol level, whatever, you take those Mm -hmm. things, those data elements, and you put them in a medical record application, again, 100% HIPAA covered data, you take those same data elements, you put them in a a Fitbit or a fitness application, same exact pieces of data, totally unregulated. Could be living in cloud data centers all across the globe with who knows who has access to it. And we see issues like this, you know, where where some of some of our military folks were using fitbits and the, the data got exposed right so it's really interesting because the consumer um awareness of privacy and security this data has 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 come to the forefront right and we're really going huh some of the original constructs that we had to kind of govern this aren't holding up the same way so that's that's one challenge yeah the biggest challenge that i would say that that i think folks don't get when when i think about like what what is it like like a, a life in the day of a ciso right mm-hmm. it's kind of you know we all think about the adversary and and you know nation state actors and things like that that are that are causing problems but right. that's only kind of one part of the problem what i think is really really hard is is actually how ubiquitously available technology is to the end user 10 15 years ago people were like i hope i go to a company and they give me a cell phone and a laptop so i have some compute capability that'd be cool right today mm-hmm. everyone's got their own mobile phones i mean people can get to any technology they want they don't need to rely on a company for it but the data in their brains can leave straight over to their personal devices easy. So, so you got to be mm. aware. But more importantly, though, aside from the, the known kind of adversary who's deliberately trying to attack you and they're changing their tactics every single day, you've got the other side of the, of the risk equation is really the rate at which the business is adopting new technologies. Because if you think about it, you've got a finite team of security professionals. So for every new technology that comes in, there's probably some business owner, right? There's hopefully some kind of technology owner who's a subject matter expert. But you've got a very small security team who has to rapidly get to know what that new technology is, get to know it very well, get to know mm-hmm. how it can be vulnerable and how to protect it. And they probably also have to get to know some kind of third-party security tool to actually do the enforcement and protection. That's a lot to ask of a very small team. You're asking yeah. experts in every single technology domain and data domain. So it's very, very hard to keep up with. So, so how do you,
0: yeah, I mean, that's a great one. I mean, how do you how do you keep on top of that stuff? Well,
1: You've only gotten half the problem, because the other half of the problem <laughs> is that even if I explain this to my senior management and board, and they say, "Joey, we hear you. Here's fifty million dollars. Go, go, hire all the people you need." I can't go get them. They're not out there, right? The right. talent market is so scarce, and and it's hard to retain people. So you've mm. got a real serious business problem here, where you know the threat landscape is real. It's pervasive. It's constantly changing. Your adversary. Uh, is does not have to adhere to law, regulation, business ethics, anything. I mean, they're inherently criminals, and they're inherently actively trying to thwart your program. Mm.
0: You've
1: got a business that's taking on technology stacks at a faster pace that you can keep up with, and then the only way you could solve it would be to at least bring some people or more technology in, and and you can't do that, right? Every product mm. in the program. So even if you try to to solve the problem through more technology and automation capabilities, somebody's got to run those tools, right? Right it's a real, it's, it, it's a really complex business problem right now. It's even made more complex by the third domain, which is business owners and executives, they tend to understand traditional risk models. They understand financial risk, execution risk, market perception risk, all the cyber risk, not so much, right? It's really big. It's really complex. And organizations go, we don't even know, we don't even know where to start. We don't know if we're funded, right? It seems like a Mount Everest, you got to climb. Like, where do you even start? Um, and so so there's a lot of dynamics, a lot of education that has to happen with 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 your with your leaders and your workforce.
0: Mm-hmm. I I'm my head is spinning listening to this, Joey, because you're absolutely right. These are huge issues. And certainly when it comes to very sensitive healthcare, health related information, that's going to be even even more important. And I, I can only imagine that over the last couple of years, we've had to probably rethink the whole approach and strategy uh, with the pandemic. So tell me a little bit, because you guys have physical wellness and and healthcare facilities, right? How did you guys manage a model where you went from kind of physical to slightly virtual? I'd be curious to hear how that's gone.
1: Well, we thought about it a little bit and we said, all right, we're either going to solve that problem or we're going to solve world peace or world hunger. So we chose the (laughs) first problem to do (laughs) that. Um, and yeah, it, it's interesting, right? So if you think about our, our business model, we're providing healthcare for, for large employer groups. So as pandemic hit, right, I mean, the demand for frontline providers was was crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're exhausted. I mean, we had to go through a lot. Mm-hmm. But we, a lot of our value prop was onsite health centers. So, so what do you do when thousands of employer groups say, hey, we're sending everybody home? Um, you got to wonder what, well, what happens to our wellness centers when, when
0: nobody's there, or are they even going to be open? I found, can't even imagine the calls that you were getting.
1: <laughs> well, that's the funny thing, right? Is, is that what we found? So it was scary. I'm not going to yeah. lie, it was scary, but what we found was that everyone was going through this together. And what most yeah. of our clients said is, look, we don't know what's happening tomorrow any more than anybody else does. What we do know is the last thing we want to do in the middle of a global healthcare epidemic is lose our healthcare partner. Mm -hmm. And so we did have to pivot really quickly um, to virtual delivery. I mean, we already had some virtual services up, but the lines of service that we had to start offering went through the roof. We had to really pivot our business models to um, providing, you know, screening and testing of COVID services. We were really in the middle of like a lot of crazy supply chain stuff. So we had huge global organizations coming to us saying, can you help us get masks? Can you help us Mm -hmm. get this? Can you help us get that? And you know, there was times where we had, you know, storage rooms full of, of PPE gear and stuff like that that we were like, this is like gold bars we're sitting on here, folks. Like, we got to walk it in and, and make sure we distribute it appropriately and responsibly. But there was all of that. Um, but a lot of it, too, was, was conversations with our clients across finance sector, defense sector, healthcare sector, manufacturing, airlines. I mean, all these different sectors that we serve. And they kind of came to us and said, hey, like, what should we do? Like, what, yeah. what are our competitors doing? Like, what's everybody else in the sector doing? Like, you know, nobody nobody kind of knew. And so we were really at the epicenter of a lot of it, not, not, not just kind of from answering their questions, but actually being the entity to provide those frontline services. And then, you know, we had to adjust really quickly with our own workforce. Like everybody, they went remote. How do you secure that? And you mm-hmm. saw really weird things like, you know, you used to have behavior models that says, you know, Jimmy only ever logs on at this time, but now Jimmy's logging on at this time. Hey, providers, you're practicing remotely. Please make sure the echoes and and Alexas aren't recording everything in the background of your patient conversations. I mean, a lot of new things to think about. And then even new verticals, like we had to just work closely with our clients and say, let us partner with you. What are we seeing? you know, and we had a big uptick in things like behavioral health, right? People were home, they were locked down, they were depressed, they were having, you know, substance abuse was up, things were going on. And so we had to respond to that call. And we had to launch all that technology really, really quickly. And I, I had to make sure we could do that in a secure fashion.
0: So it was very easy, very seamless. You didn't have to do that much.
1: <laughs> well, that's why I said we figured we'd move on to world peace and hunger. That was, that
0: was <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible how that space changed. And I mean, I, I listening to you, the idea that there would be other devices in the home or people logging in to, from... Um, their local kind of servers, et cetera, managing data flows from, from that perspective. I mean, what, what a, a set of challenges. I'd be curious to kind of get a sense of where things are now. How are things evolving? Are, they, are people going back to the old models or have you kind of netted out in kind of a new structure?
1: I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody believes we'll go back to the, all, all the way the way things were. You know, there's some degree of sector alignment in terms of you know financial sectors doing things this way and manufacturing this way and and whatever. But each organization's kind of handling it their own way. Our health mm-hmm. centers are all up and running again. People are coming in. Um, you know, a, a lot of people realize I, I don't want to get up and be in my pajamas all day long and then go back to bed. Right? They kind of they kind of miss that. I mean, we were hearing stories. You know, people would get up and and do a ghost commute to work just to just to go through it, just to get out of the house and get in that routine. And oh, really? That, that headspace. Yeah, like literally, <laughs> they, get in, they drive they drive to the office just so they could, you know, people were like, hey, I used to think during that time. I used to process how, what I'm going to do for my day. And, and so people would do that kind of stuff. But, you know, wow. I think that there's, it, the, the interesting thing is the the, the the adoption of virtual health, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, the technology had been there for years, but provider adoption was not there. The doctors didn't want to do it. And patient adoption wasn't there. They didn't want to do it which is one of those kind of funny value prop cases, because you would think, hey, if you're sick, the last thing you want to do is actually get up and go leave the house and go to the doctor. How about you just pull up your phone and you can do something virtual? The adoption just wasn't there. Yeah. Post world, You know, that adoption is totally there. And I think it's really awesome, honestly, because it's allowed us to really bring care to some of the places it's most needed, to more rural areas and things like that, where, you know, the care is needed there. But People have had a hard time getting access to it. So really accessibility um, and, and that member engagement in our world is like one of the biggest things that drives us, is, is how do we get to those most needy uh communities? How, how do we serve them? And and again, in our business model with aligned incentive, like we call it, our employer partners, they they want us to get to those communities. They say, hey, those are our employees. Like we need them to get care. Like, how do we, how do we solve this together? Um yeah. it's 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 been it's been great. I mean, that yeah. aspect great.
0: That's incredible. And I, and I can see that it will continue to evolve and morph a little bit more as, as things continue to change quickly. But as you look out in the broader, I'd say, CISO landscape and, and what, what you guys are focusing on at Premise Health, what does the near and, and midterm future look like for you?
1: Uh, you know, I guess, I guess I'll guess i answer it in kind of two ways from, from sort of Premise Health, what we're doing. Uh, with me as a CISO, kind of so baked into the operations, I'll, I'll take a little spin and say, from a security perspective, what that means. Uh, you know, for us as an organization, we are looking really heavily at member engagement, right? Like, how how do we get how do we get more engagement from from those from those communities and, and help them on an actual journey? We're looking really heavily at something that we call care navigation, which healthcare is complex, right? Mm-hmm. You go to a doctor, they say you're going to need to go see a specialist. Almost no one knows who those specialists are. Are they any good? How do, how would I know if they're any good? They seem to cost a lot. And, 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 and most people don't know things like, well, if you go see that same doctor at this facility on a Tuesday instead of that facility on a Thursday, it could cost you way less and you're getting the same level of care. Um, right. So one thing we're working on really is, is called care navigation. We wanna get people to, to the best providers they can um, and, and kind of help them on that journey. It's really, really important. Um, So we're doing that a lot around, Mm -hmm. like I said, behavioral health and social determinants of health, right? We're really starting to look at sort of the social implications of what drives sort of different areas and communities and demographics and and, and how we can kind of get in front of that and and, and help those organizations and communities. And again, part of our role is, is going back to the employer groups and saying, hey, how do your benefits programs look for these kinds of things, right? Like if you want to care for your workforce, if you want to have equality and diversity programs, you know, are you working this into your benefits plan? So, so we're looking at some of those kind of global macro issues. Obviously, we're looking at the incorporation of medical devices and what the impact on that is on, you know, remote uh, practices of medicine and things like that, which, you know, of course, is going to have security implications, right? Now, now these are yeah. now these individual devices that users are using, and and there's some accountability there. I think from a, from a security perspective, a, a lot of what we're looking at is sort of our our digital and data-oriented evolution, and how we bring all this data together um, and, and and how we make sure that we're doing that in a secure way. You know one sort of interesting notion that I'll tell you, some people are aware of this some are, you know, the, the cost of a, of a stolen credit card in the black market, I mean, it varies, but it could be you know between 50 cents and a, and a dollar or something. The cost yeah. of, a, of a stolen medical record for a while was 50 dollars. That, that's orders of magnitude more, more valuable. Think about why though. you steal a credit card? the financial institution cancels the credit card, it's done.
0: Right.
1: You steal a medical record, someone's social security number, their their medical health history, you can't cancel that out. You can't cancel a person's identity on on paper. Furthermore, not only that, healthcare is an ecosystem do you know where you go for your medical record? Do you know the one place you go? You don't, because it doesn't exist, right? There's every doctor you've ever been to, every walk-in clinic you've ever been to, your medical record is kind of all over the place. And it gets routed to insurers and pharmacies and all these places. So so when it does get breached, you don't even necessarily know exactly where the source was. A company may say, hey, we had a problem. But other than that, it's kind of out there. So that stolen data has a lot of tangible value for a long time so you know those are kind of some of the issues that we're struggling with on the healthcare front and trying to find the best best ways to kind of get in front of that right we can well
0: step i mean step by step on that stuff i i certainly am excited about telehealth and virtual health and kind of virtual health health hybrid models and um i think probably as, as just as a patient, anything that can make managing that data, that, that medical data simpler, easier, and safe, Uh, It is helpful. I think anybody that goes to any doctor where you have to fill out the same information you filled out 20 million times before, (laughs) you're like, oh, you know, uh, and and, and then you find out that they send that information out to somebody who transcribes information. You know, so many opportunities for error. It's crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And so anything that can kind of uh, simplify that is really great. And it sounds like you guys are leading the charge on that. Uh, Joey, it's been amazing chatting with you. If someone wanted to learn more about what you and uh, Premise Health are, are doing, what's the best place to reach you?
1: I mean, you can just look for for Joey Johnson, Premise Health on LinkedIn. That's an easy way to find me. Uh, I, I try to be responsive. Um, I, I get I get a lot of a lot of messages and notices there, but that's a great way. And, and of course, you know, just just hit up our our, our website um, at premisehealth.com. I, I, I'm not. I don't have a huge. Uh, Twitter presence or anything like that. I I don't have time for it. And uh, the best way to probably find me is LinkedIn.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, we've been chatting with Joey Johnson today. He is the Chief Information Security Officer of Premise Health. Premise Health is the world's leading direct healthcare provider their transformative approach focuses on clinical expertise, easy access to care, and a seamless and simple member experience. We've been talking about really the multitude of challenges that you face on the security front uh, when you're managing healthcare data, and really how Premise Health is, is leading the charge and building the model for the future. Joey, thank you so much for being on, on Cage today, and we look forward to having you back.
1: It's been a pleasure. Anytime. Cheers. All right, then.